This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 328, A Conversation with Steve Scross. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 328. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our Conversation with Steve Scross episode. Uh, thank you for downloading the show. And um, today's episode, we talked to Steve Scross, the artist of, uh, he was the storyboard artist for the Matrix films. Uh, he helped create the X-Men character with Jeff Loeb. Uh, he also has recently been doing um, We Stand on Guard with Brian K. Vaughn from Image Comics. Uh, great illustrator, so we had a, a good chat with him on the show. But a little bit of housekeeping first. You can always email us at uh, comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, uh, read and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. Um, so this episode, we got some great uh, user-submitted questions from our listeners uh, from the Marvel Masterworks Forum. just want to give them a quick shout-out, as they didn't get a shout-out in the episode, which I'm horribly remiss. I really have to start doing that. Uh, so I do want to thank the following listeners. Uh, so we're thanking uh, Muldoon. Uh, we're thanking uh, Stuzy, uh, Faust33. Uh, we're thanking, who else we got? Pimp My Shelf. Uh, they all submitted some great questions that we incorporated into the episodes. Thank you so much for those. Um, upcoming episodes that we have coming up. Now, originally we were going to have a Justin Zoran Heroclix episode coming up, but uh, because of the nature of the interview, it's actually a text interview now. So if you go to comicshenanigans.podbean.com, uh, if you look up, um, you can find it as you look in posts that were posted in December. You'll find the first part of our three-part, two or three-part interview. We're not really sure how many parts it's going to be yet. As we go over some of the business aspects of uh, WizKids uh, operations and uh, HeroClix in general. Uh, so that's coming, or has happened. Uh, so parts two and three hopefully will be later this month or in January. Uh, future episodes, we'll have a conversation with John Rhett Thomas, also known as Gormu, on the Marvel Masterworks board. Uh, as well, we're still working on scheduling for David Marquez, the artist of Invincible Iron Man. He's a very busy man, so hopefully we'll get something going soon. Uh, we also we might have a mystery Christmas episode, which I don't even know what it's going to be yet. Because if it's going to happen, it's going to be something that my wife is putting together and she wants to do. So she hasn't been on the show in a long time doing her own episodes, so that could be fun. Um, so that's all stuff coming up in the future. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Steve Scross. Steve, welcome to Comic Shenanigans. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, the burning question on my head, and the first thing I wanted to ask was, how do I pronounce your last name properly? Uh, this has been a topic of much debate, but probably Scrooge. Okay. Um, I guess Scroce would be the proper Croatian pronunciation, but and I've been reminded by other people who are Croatian that I've been saying it wrong, but I just, <laughs> like, 42, I can't. I can't really send out that email to my friends to tell them, okay, now you're going to start calling me Scroce. <laughs> so, uh, you know, when my dad got here, who knows, maybe they started pronouncing it wrong and he just went with it. And uh, so it is what it is now. Uh, before we started Stand on Guard, there was this, Brian had this big, uh, we talked about it, he was going to announce it or he was doing an interview somewhere and he was like, well, how, do, how should I pronounce your last name? And I was, uh, and for like five minutes, I was like, I think I'm going to go with Scroce now. And then my wife reminded me that I'd be a big idiot among my friends if, like, suddenly I had this new pronunciation, <laughs> and, you know, in middle age. So let's go with Scross. Scross, okay. I've always, ever since I've seen your name in print, I was always like, how do I pronounce that? Yeah, well, me too. <laughs> uh, one of the first questions I like to ask my guests is, what was your kind of first interaction with comics? Well, my, uh, well, obviously, like, probably the Ralph Boschke Spider-Man cartoons, anything superhero on uh, Super Friends cartoon-wise probably got me into superheroes and put me on the path toward comics, but my elementary school had a comic book club or something that I tried to join and was, like, nowhere, like, I was completely ignorant and not very cool. I had, like, this crummy old gold key Star Trek comic. <laughs> and I showed up trying to like trade this thing and I was just like a pariah in this group and uh, you know I was really trying to you know I really wasn't getting anywhere with anyone with my my goal everyone was reading like you know Frank Miller's uh, you know Daredevil and stuff and uh, so that was my first experience and then I went to like you know a comic show at a school uh, basement 
and I actually got some some of the cool comics I had seen at this club, and that started the ball ro- rolling and made me a Marvel zombie. I'm almost impressed that you stayed with comics at all after that. That's the kind of experience that turns people away from comics when the the culture is is kind of enclosed and is like, oh, why do you like that? I just, I guess, I loved comics. You know, my love for comics meant more to me than just being shunned by the other nerds. <laughs> I knew, I thought I could work my way, you know, into their group eventually. Who were the the characters and books that you were most interested in and drawn to when you were younger? Well, it's that '80s Marvel. You know, that's that's the uh, that's a very very addictive drug. Um, you know, it was you know Frank Miller's Daredevil, that first Wolverine miniseries. Kind of all the stuff at that time, you know. Of course, the Claremont, my, my, you know, the Claremont Paul Smith X Men were my first ones that I just adored those, and I went back and got the John Byrne and yeah, whatever I could, you know, a Spider Man, of course, you know. I went back and was buying Marvel Tales and was following John Romita as Spider Man and uh, or John Romita Junior. It would have been at that time, and you know, then obviously, yeah, all the eighty stuff. Then it was. The Dark Knight, and you know, got into Alan Moore and Watchmen, and it just consumed me for a number of years. But they were a bit. Uh, I had to stop, stop collecting for a little while just because we didn't have any cash for that, and uh, you know, uh, so there were a couple years where I didn't get that many of them, and then got a paper out or something. And uh, <laughs> it's probably everyone you talk to is probably probably a similar story, right? Like, does anyone go? You know, I was uh, you know studying law, and then I saw an ad for. Um, actually, try out and then, uh, yeah, the, um, a unique story, well, different from most as was Devin Grayson's story because she kind of was lured in by the Batman animated series, went to a comic book store, wanted to more, learn more about Robin and kind of fell in the comics that way. And that was a little bit different than most, most people who had more of a, a younger mindset. They got into comics when they were younger and they were kind of hooked and then that kept kind of going. But hers was the most unique, I think, because it didn't really have that initial attachment when you would think so, normally. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, yeah, the Adam uh, West show, too, was a big deal for me. Absolutely. Now, what was it that, when did you start drawing yourself? I'm sure I would have been around that time. I was a kid and... Um... Yeah, I was just constantly drawing, constantly copying drawings that I had had seen and recreating panels, and uh, uh, yeah, I just did that forever. Uh, we have a listener question, uh, which is uh, kind of fits in nicely here, which is, who were your artistic influences? Well, were I mean, starting out, it was like I was drawing, you know, all the Marvel guys. Uh, you know, I loved Paul Smith back then. Of course, you know, John Byrne, Frank Miller. Um, I was less of a DC guy, although I did notice George Perez and stuff. Um, you know, later on, well, you know who was the main guy who has stuck with me since those early days till now was um, Michael Golden. Oh, really? Yeah, because he was someone, you know, I'd always been attracted because he was someone who could kind of create an entire world. It wasn't just a, a panel. I mean, there was like a depth and a certain like energy to his action and a I didn't really have the words for it then, but like a sense of composition and stuff and um, kind of a, 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 not necessarily realistic, but a, I don't know, bounciness to his characters, a life to them. And he didn't draw that much. I know he did Micronauts, but it was pretty much, I well, anything he drew, I would find it and like just wear it out looking at it over and over again. And it sort of put me on the path of like the kind of artist that I really admired at least you know um you know great storytelling a lot of depth and detail in his work and you know and then later on obviously uh you know darrow and people like uh, otomo and um this french artist named francois bouc is someone i really admire his work and by you know i've never been able to read a story that he's uh you know published or drawn i should say but uh, i have tons of his his books Interesting. That's such an interesting concept to collect purely for the art, not really understanding the story because you can't like read it, but getting it through the storytelling on its own. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. Uh, he does this, there's this one-armed uh, gunslinger thing called Bouncer he does with Jodorowsky, who I guess writes all European comics from, as far as I can tell. <laughs> and uh, 
he did that. He says there's this other thing that he right that he draws called Jerome Mouchereau, who's like this in this weird alternate reality where like it's uh, France but overtaken by a jungle and like you know it's just um, sort of uh, kind of jungle tropes from I don't know maybe you know 30s Tarzan movies like or just like exist as regular citizens in this like crazy world you know and it follows around this like little uh, insurance salesman with a you know instead of a bone through his nose he's got like a pen and he's got like this suit and he like just is selling insurance and there's always if you haven't seen them they're so crazy but incredibly well drawn and imaginative now what when how did you kind of start breaking into the industry that's always an interesting story i mean sometimes they're relatively similar but there's always like that kind of interesting experience that kind of really gets you in so what was that for you um you know, it was that time, it was like the super boom, it would have been like 92, 93, just graduated from high school, jumped into my Yugo, drove down to uh, San Diego Con, but prior to that I had been sending in samples since I was like 13 years old, and, uh, and uh, you know, would cherish my little rejection letter I would get, <laughs> would occasionally have a, a note from an editor on it, um, and that, that kind of blew my mind. Uh, so I went down there, you know, I went down to San Diego and you waited in line and I had little Xerox packages, packets of my work that I would just hand out to the, whatever editor I met and, and they would review my work and, you know, give me notes on that and tell me what I needed to uh, work on. And, uh, eventually, yeah, I got, I got hired. I got, um, you know, it was, uh, they were generating a lot of stuff back then and, um. I think the first thing I got hired, I think I got hired at DC for something. Uh, might have been like a, uh, yeah, I think it was DC first, like a 10-page, no, 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 I'm wrong about that. I think it was Marvel. It was a Clyde Barker book, The Razor Line, if anyone remembers that. Razor Line, the first cut. Something like that, yeah. What, so, what was that experience like, I mean, doing your first published work? Well, it was amazing, you know, it's just... Um, you know, you're just, like, intoxicated by it. Um, you know, it was a ton of work, but, like, you know, it was, like, the most important thing. And you got there, and you're dealing with editors, and you get, like, Marvel paper. And I had a little Marvel paper shrine. And, uh, yeah, it's everything you'd ever wanted. And, uh, you know, you could die now. And, uh, yeah, those were, were great days. And then after Ecto Kid and uh, that stuff, I got into the X office. And uh, it just kind of carried on from there. And worked on a bunch of the different Marvel stuff and yeah, those are great days um, yeah, what, was, what was it like kind of being picked up and kind of thrown into the X office and starting to work on their books well it was good I mean you're talking about my favorite comics I was reading so it was just um, it was just amazing and uh, yeah I didn't complain I can't think yeah it was just um, an extremely you know, looking back now, I look think those are just like just really great fun days. I mean, my drawing was shit. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know if I really pat myself on the back now. It's really funny though because Marvel is really good at like sending you whenever they repackage something. Age of Apocalypse, the movie's coming out, so they've got all these the repackaging all that old stuff, mm -hmm. you know, big trades, and so they'll send me one. And I remember back in the day, I used to think I was uh, oh, I'm pretty good, and I flip through and I go, oh, I'm the worst one. <laughs> what was I thinking but um, but yeah no, overall it was, you know, it was a lot of hours I spent most of my 20s just drawing comics but uh, yeah, I'm pretty grateful for that what um, I mean how did you end up on cable I mean that was kind of a it was a relatively new book when you took it over I mean I guess it had been around about a year what was it like kind of transitioning on to you know a main a big book in the X office and doing it as a regular gig well, you know, you feel like, wow, I've really made it finally because I was doing, you know, uh, something brand new, uh, you know, Ecto Kid, Clive Barker, not really stuff at that point I was really even that interested in. But, um, yeah, to actually get and work with Bob Harris and uh, work on those books, yeah, it was like a dream come true, you know. And then you got to obviously launch the X-Men version of Nate Gray, how, right. What was that like, kind of designing that character, and what were you going for? God, I don't know what I was going 
before. I look at them now and I go, oh, what was I doing? <laughs> I, think, I think I thought the coolest thing in the world were the still suits from Dune. <laughs> and so I think that's what I was trying to draw him in, although I look at him now and he's just got like this weird corset on. And uh, yeah, I don't really, I don't know what I was thinking, but um, yeah, I was, you know, I was doing the best I can. I was a kid and... Uh, you know, it was pre-internet. These days, people are they're so lucky. I mean, there's a downside too to that, but uh, just being able to get exposed to stuff nowadays is so amazing. Back then, I just had my comics I was reading, and then occasionally at a con, I'd come across something new, and you'd get that, and hopefully, you would, uh, you know, maybe learn something. It was really an earn while you learn um, little bubble you were in. You know, I didn't do art school or anything, so. When you were working on X-Men, you had obviously the benefit of working with a bunch of different writers. Who was kind of your favorite X-Men writer to work with and kind of work on the book with? Oh, it would have been Jeff. Jeff Lowe was uh, definitely the best of the, uh, you know, he created it and had the best ideas. And he was, uh, you know, a very cool dude for uh, to know back in, back in those days. So, um, yeah, definitely he, uh, you know, he was someone I got to spend some time with and... Uh, he was older and experienced and had uh, worked in show business and stuff. And so it was very exciting to, you know, go to L.A. and hang out with him and, uh, in those days, you know. When you, when you were working on Cable and X-Men, was it still Marvel Method at the time or was it transitioning into more of a script method? Uh, it was script method. He had, his, you know, his uh, panel one, you know, dialogue. Uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, no. that's what it was. As a, as a younger artist, did you think that was uh, a hindrance or a benefit, um, especially not having an established kind of art school training on how to lay out, you know, pages and sequences? Did you think that this, the script was more helpful or a hindrance to your own creative talents? Hmm. Um, hard to remember what I, if I had an opinion about it one way or the other. I feel like maybe... Because I think when I did Spider-Man, I think they may have been more Marvel-style. When I was with Tom DeFalco. Uh, yeah, I can't really say. I mean, I probably have to say now, you know, uh, a full script is probably better. Uh, I mean, not probably. I know it's better because it's you have something with dialogue and uh, all the beats of the story are figured out, and uh, you know, there's all you know, it's a completely planned out story you have to execute, and there's word balloons that take up a certain amount of space in the page that you can. It's important to figure them uh, into the compositions, right? Leave room for them. And yeah, back then at Marvel, the you know sometimes you would draw something and there'd be a giant balloon over it if, if it wasn't full script. So back then, I don't know if I had much of an opinion of it one way or the other, but uh, I'm kind of a full script fan these days. Now I do want to jump on Spider Man. What was? How did that come about that you were taking over kind of the, the flagship Spider Book? Because that's a big move from X-Men. Not that X-Men wasn't you know, a very popular book at the time, but to go into Spider-Man seems like the next level. Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, you know, I was just a big nerd, and I loved Spider-Man, and I just bugged them, kept bugging them, and uh, they were um, yeah, very good to me, and let me uh, draw that. Um, they were also very generous because I got on that, and then I started getting some movie jobs, and uh, uh, they really were, com- Marvel was super accommodating letting me, you know, kind of holding the book for me and then letting me, like, jump ship and do this other new thing, which um, was actually pretty cool. But I'd been there a number of years at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a deadline guy. I got that, that stuff done. Well, that's important, right? Absolutely. Yeah, probably more important than anything. <laughs> um, now, working with Tom DeFalco, I guess you obviously grew up on his stuff or part of his stuff in the 80s what was it like to actually be able to work for him directly and collaborate with him on Spider-Man uh, it was great he was a very sweet guy very accommodating if you had any ideas or something that you kind of liked to draw he would uh, find a way to accommodate that and uh, yeah just in my experience it was just a very sweet man and uh, yeah it was, it was a great time it's interesting that I was just looking today at some of your uh, your Amazing Spider-Man work, and I think when I actually started kind of picking up Amazing Spider-Man on a regular basis, you were the regular artist. I think your second issue on the book was my kind of first I'm buying oh, this. Oh, really? Regular. Yeah, so, I mean... Oh, my apologies. <laughs> so this is why it was always a big deal for me to be able to get you on the shows, because, you know, you were kind of my one of my... 
entry artist into Spider-Man. I had read Spider-Man previous, but you were the first artist where I was actually buying it on a regular basis. I had been a fan of X-Men and of the X-Books, but actually jumping into Spider-Man on a regular basis, you were the artist. So for a while, you were my Spider-Man artist, so that was, it was always a big thrill to be able to be like, I'm going to be able to talk to him on the show, so I really appreciate you doing the show for that purpose. Oh, no, no problem. No problem. My, my pleasure. Now, your your run on Spider-Man, as you said, ended up being a little shorter because of the movie jobs that came up. Is there any regrets you have about your run on Spider-Man? Hmm, you know, not really. I mean, I just wish I had been a better artist, but I always think that about everything I've drawn, you know. Um, not, yeah, sure, you wanted to get that big run, but, you know, movies kind of opened up and it was kind of a cool opportunity for me and brought me into a whole other world and really allowed me to um, be exposed to other artists um, and, um, you know, learn a lot of stuff I wouldn't have working in my little apartment by myself, you know. So I kind of have to go with uh, no regrets. But, uh, you know, you always wish you could have done a better job and uh, so on. Is there a specific uh, comic or something you remember that you've seen recently even that you wish you could go back and redraw like it's it just never quite sat with you and maybe it was a deadline thing or maybe not, but something that you wish you could go back and fix? Well, sure, but I mean, you know, like I said, I'm older now, so it's like, you know, I don't know, you... Uh, I'm a little... I think the one good... I'm a little less precious now about that stuff. I mean... Uh, I'm just kind of happy to be drawing comics and just drawing for a living in general because, you know, um, maybe I was like, was there something? Mm, probably not. Not. I'm kind of like uh, looking to the next thing, you know. I would say the only regret I had are sometimes you, looking back, I mean, you realize how important completing a story is, you know, and all the stops and starts and jumping around. You know, I don't think, you know, is really, you know, helps an artist, hmm. you know, a comic book artist. I think it's important. I mean, like, there are so many great comic artists in comics, but I think it's super important to, if you're a comic artist, is to, like, it's really the story is the most important, and the art is kind of the delivery system for the story. It's one of the, you know, that and the dialogue are telling you the story. So I think it's important to have, like, I think people fall in love with an artist through the story if the story is really good you love the artwork as well or the artwork shines through you know like um, you know someone like Steve Dillon or somebody who got to draw a preacher and draw every issue of that I mean like that's amazing, an amazing accomplishment you know um, so I wish I had a little more of that in my in my life but that's kind of why I've returned to comics and I really want to work on that sh building that shelf you know to get a few more things mm. that I really like you know we did Young Blood, but that only lasted three or like two issues or something before it fell apart and uh, Spider-Man you know I was jumping around so it was kind of incomplete you know I did I did do a lot of X-Man and earlier stuff but I was much younger then so uh, you know I'm not as happy with uh, my, my work but but hopefully in the future there'll be more completed stories you know Mm -hmm. Now you brought up Youngblood, so we did have some listener questions asking, you know, what was it like working on Youngblood, and if you could reveal any aborted storylines or behind-the-scenes info about that experience. Uh, behind-the-scenes intel, let's see. Um, <laughs> if there's any. Not, not too much. I mean, um, yeah, it was like, you know, Alan Moore doing superheroes. He had his own spin on all of these archetypes, which I loved, and... Uh, yeah, it was just kind of a, a bummer. It, uh, it fell apart. In terms of the story, what did he have going? I don't know. It was kind of a, you know, I only got two scripts, three scripts into it, so there wasn't really any big event that um, that comes to mind that was that was missed. But it was going to be really good. He, had a, he was definitely going somewhere. I just kind of drawing a blank on it. was a number of years ago now. Yeah, it was a while ago, so I'm not going to hold you to that. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I loved his characters. He had, like, his Batman and Robin character were kind of like, I don't know, like, there was some kind of, like, inappropriate relationship going on with the Batman character and the Robin character, who's, like, this young girl. And, uh, I don't know, he had some kind of twisted ideas that were, that were kind of fun, naughty and, and twisted. That doesn't sound, sound right, but, uh, 
I think we all know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. He had a lot of like funny, funny, irreverent spins on these classic characters. And I just wish I could have kept going with that. What was an Alan Moore script like? Well, they were very dense. I mean, they were like were super detailed. So, like a twenty-two page comic would be like 35, 38 pages, you know, and it would be you know, panel one. This character's in the foreground. Uh, this is so and so is in the middle ground doing this. In the background, something else is happening. You know, it's just like absolutely getting as much you know mileage as possible out of every inch of the of page. Um, so that was maybe a little challenging at that time but I had been drawing working in movies for a little bit so and movies are a lot like that it's constantly you know about um, you know taking direction and uh, trying to get the best result you know not finding the easiest way to complete the, the, the page it's about you know kind of making sure that uh, you're showing all of these elements as um, well as you can uh, you know trying to make the end product as, as good as possible I do want to get to your, your work in movies, I, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the experience both working on the Gambit uh, ongoing series as well as your, uh, your brief blood debt story on Wolverine. Um, what was it like working on, on Gambit with, uh, with Fabian? Well, it was a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, it was... Um... Yeah, it was, a, it was a good gig. Um, I had, like, Marvel had, I had jumped ships to go work for Rob Liefeld, and they happily took me back and gave me a very high-profile book, and I was really grateful for that, and uh, I'd never drawn Gambit before, and, uh, yeah, it was cool. It was uh, it was a good run. I think I did, uh, I don't know, maybe a year year of those, 12 of them maybe, 11, something like that. Looks like, looks like about 12. Yeah. So yeah, I was happy with happy with those those books. That was uh, probably around ninety eight, ninety nine, and I was in I was living in London, drawing a couple of some of those, and uh, yeah, it was cool. But uh, yeah, Blood Debt was was pretty exciting to write and draw. My uh, my own my own thing was great. Had you always wanted to write a story? Yeah, sure. I just um, you know just had one wanted to uh, was just working up to it, and uh, yeah, the opportunity came and. Uh, yeah, it was cool. He's uh, an amazing character to draw. Like, you can just kind of put him through a, a meat grinder, and uh, you know, he comes out the end still fighting. And uh, which was a little, I would say, the only drawback was that I wanted to be much gorier than I was allowed to be at that time. I think Marvel may have been, go- yeah, they were going through bankruptcy, and everything was a little bit more, um, uh, you know, sensitive because mm-hmm. uh, um, there was like, I guess, Walmart was a place where they sold a lot of books at that point, so. There were like limits on what you could do, and maybe they were a little more conservative than they were, you know, five, ten years before. But, uh, but yeah, I love, I love working on it. But again, you know, it's like that's something I, you know, um, looking back, they were all pretty good experiences. You work in on a movie and production, and you know, your job is mostly about revision, and you realize like how good the comic book artist has it in, in that way creatively. I remember I used to get really bent out of shape about any kind of change or anything to to your work, but you know now after working as a professional movie artist for a number of years, you kind of see like I don't know that's that's all you do most of the time in most other art jobs is you're constantly changing and revising uh, your work um, to you know kind of you know help create this this blueprint for this larger um, project. You know, where in comics you're very lucky to like just sit down and get to draw a story as you see fit and occasionally you have to change something so let's talk about movies so you started getting this movie work what was the movie work you initially were kind of getting that was leading you slowly out of comics well it was really it all goes back to Ecto Kid my first job in comics which was written by the Wachowskis and I made friends with them and they really um, just brought me out to work on The Matrix Uh, they'd offered uh you know, they'd asked me to draw, do boards for Bound, which was their first movie, and I declined because I didn't want to leave the rock-solid world of comics at that point. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I said, Marvel was very accommodating. They let me go off, and I worked on The Matrix for you know maybe like six months over a couple of years. It was never a green light, green lit project. While I worked on it, it was something that was in development that they would 
do a bunch of drawings and then they'd get a little bit more development money to, you know, hire more artists and they'd have a little pre-production office for a few months and then it would stall and, you know, it didn't really get greenlit until, I don't know, six months or so after I was completely finished on it. So it all kind of started there with that opportunity. And then The Matrix became what it became and that kind of led to, you know, other, other jobs. Uh, are there any others you can kind of talk about that uh, that were kind of highlights that w- while you were working well, on them? Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, the Matrix sequels, those, those were great days. You know, uh, the one great thing, I got to do a lot of traveling in my late 20s and 30s, which was, like, um, you know, super grateful for that. Those were all really great life experiences. Lots of different movies, you know, ups and downs. But I, I would say probably working on George Miller's uh, Justice League uh, for the comic book nerd in me, um, was pretty cool because I'd never done any of those DC characters and I'd always loved them. Hmm. And so it was pretty awesome to go to Australia and sit there and talk Superman with George Miller, you know, and uh, it was very exciting to see the new 52 because, you know, I'm sure they had very similar conversations that we, that, that, that we had sitting around with these characters, you know, like should the Cape connect to the shield on its, on Superman's chest or, <laughs> Or they'd be like, isn't it weird? They all kind of have the same powers, don't they? You know, everyone flies, everyone has super strength, you know. Um, so, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that would be, that was probably, you know, obviously all the Wachowski movies have been great. I've never been treated better. Uh, but uh, the production designer that they've worked with on many films, Owen Patterson, brought me out for Justice League. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty awesome. And Australia was just, you know, beautiful and, um, yeah, that was kind of a... For the comic nerd in me, that was a very fun uh, experience. Now, in the mid-2000s, you worked on Doc Frankenstein. Right. Now, uh, we had some listener questions about uh, if there were any updates on Volume 2 of Doc Frankenstein. <laughs> it's coming. It's completely drawn. It's just we've had a hell of a time getting it colored. It's like... Because it's like such a tiny little company, it's really been hard to get a colorist to finish it because they all know, like... Like, their Marvel and DC work is really going to take the um, priority. Mm -hmm. The R thing keeps getting pushed back, and so we've got Richard Eisenhoff on it right now, who has just been uh, very generous about um, uh, his time and and, and color finishing it off for us. So it's almost done, like 10 pages out or so. So I'm going to say coming next year, but I mean, I I finished the pages like over like two years ago or something. Oh, wow. So it's completely drawn, and uh, it's going to come out, I swear. So thank you <laughs> for anybody who's interested in it still. And, uh, yeah, on a public publishing level, it's definitely we dropped the ball in a huge way. But um, I don't know. I really like the comic. It's got a great ending. It does go to some crazy places. We explain the secret history of Jesus. Um we uh, go into the whole, like, you know, death of Christ. There's this, like, insane battle with Doc Frankenstein uh, versus the, uh, the the church. And um, yeah, it's very blasphemous, very irreverent, <laughs> and it's very funny and, and blood-soaked, action-packed, and emotional. Ooh. Yeah, so. <laughs> so to all of our fan out there, <laughs> you know, I'll say that there were at least two people who asked about it. Oh, real? well, I, that's great. Um, I should probably send those guys a thank you note. <laughs> uh, is the, the one of the uh, the questions from the listeners was also kind of with regards to this was: uh, Is there any further purpose for the Burley Man Entertainment Publishing label beyond the long delayed second and final volume of Doc Frankenstein? Uh, probably not. I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, I'm doing stuff at Image now, and um, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I can't. Uh, you know, the, the market the way it is—it's just taken so long to get it done. Um, there are no plans. Let's put it that way. And uh, so, speaking of your image work, how did you and Brian K. Vaughn get started on We Stand on Guard? Well, we met in uh, Los Angeles at an early screening of Jupiter Ascending, actually, and uh, we just—you uh, know—we're chatting, and uh, you know. He just kind of casually, hey, if you ever want to collaborate on something, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of just, you know, uh, said, okay, if you're serious about that, I'll, you know, I started just sending him, you know, some the Doc Frankenstein stuff. And 
he had he was finishing the dome and he had a little breathing room in there and so yeah so he came up with um, stand on guard and uh, yeah yeah that has been re- a really great uh, reintroduction into comics after having been away for so long so I'm super grateful to him for that and uh, yeah he's wrote a, a wrote I think just a great story um, it's got I think such a great ending and it's uh, really emotional and uh, and uh, poignant things so i'm excited for people to read the final chapter actually as we so uh this episode's either going up two days after it comes out or a week after it comes out but it will have just come out so uh i haven't read it yet but i'm hoping it's a damn good issue i well i worked very hard on it. hopefully you like it um and uh so yes and yeah thanks for everyone who has been interested and well everyone's interested in what brian does so uh but i'm i'm glad i got to draw this one very cool. How would you describe how your art style has changed over the years? Because I remember when I when I picked up uh, We Stand on Guard number one, like I really enjoyed it, but I was also struck by like your art definitely had changed and it had a different sensibility to it. Still very good, um, but like how would you describe well, I, the difference? Uh, I guess I'm less interested like in the Marvel days. Like back then, it was all about figure like the superhero figure the character like it was always about kind of like that life healed thing like you you want to have that big figure leaping around the page you know uh that 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 pin up and everything else is kind of less important you know like the other panels the close-ups those are can be little tiny panels that will tell whatever that next little tidbit of story is and i think with storyboarding and stuff i've just become more interested in um Just like clarity, uh, I'm really more focused on kind of, uh, in terms of drawing characters, you know, I'm trying at least to put, bring bring as much emotion as possible, um, you know, not necessarily realistic, but a certain amount of uh, a life to um, the stylized characters, you know, I want... I'm using kind of like, you know, I don't really have anything breaking panels. It's kind of straightforward storytelling, but I kind of feel like every little panel is important, you know, and, you know, moving from one to another, you know, to me is like a little bit more important than that splash image. You know, it's like a bit of a, a bit of like a, a symphony. You can't constantly be like hitting the horns dramatically, you know, it's like this, you know, which is kind of what a splash page is. You kind of have to work up to that. And so like emotionally, I think it, it means more when you get to that, that big image, you know? Absolutely. So, so that, yeah, you know, that's very important to, yeah, just, yeah, clarity, um, just trying to think more about the world, what, you know, the, every little thing that you put in a panel or design or what a character uh, is wearing kind of helps inform the story and the tone of the story, and so at least I'm trying to be aware of all those little things and put them in there, and hopefully that'll help create a you know consistent um maybe not realistic but you know believable in the context of the um world that we're creating uh, type of uh thing like kind of lost it at the end there but <laughs> it's okay i think, we, I, think get we get, I think we get it uh a question about the the title who came up with the title for the book oh brian you know brian comes up with all that stuff just it's a word if it's words um, he comes up with it and he's yeah his scripts have been great they're like similar to Alan Moore but they're a little bit less um, they're less wordy they're just like really concise um, he gets to the heart of things very quickly it's very easy they're very uh, easy to navigate through and, and, and to read and uh, um, yeah it's like he doesn't like overwrite anything you know it's not uh, I feel like he probably cuts out all the superfluous elements. Everything is very well considered and thought out in his scripts, which I really like. I think he'd make a great film director, actually. Hmm. Now, I have a question. Um, for some of the issues that we stand on guard, there was a lot of... felt like there was a, a few kind of little Easter eggs for the Canadian uh, readers. Was the, 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 were those your idea, or were they Brian's idea? Uh, generally, they're Brian. What did I throw in? I threw in one... Uh... The littlest robo got me. Well, that I have to take credit for. Hopefully he didn't mind that, but that was a show that we used to watch up, up here, uh, which was like this kind 
kind of crummy show that was Canadian and it would be like this German Shepherd that was kind of lassie, I guess. Absolutely. I, I'm surprised. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a Canadian thing. A lot of every Canadian kind of knows that show. Right. And so I just thought it would be funny <laughs> to uh, throw in, you know, the littlest robo and have this like robotic version and, you know, in the future they're, they're watching. Um, beyond that, nothing too much. I mean, Brian is surrounded with, with by Canadians everywhere he goes. He has a Canadian, he's a Canadian wife. Is uh, all of, most of his collaborators have been Canadian. Um, so he, you know, he, he knows more about Canada than I do, except the littlest hobo. That's the one thing I knew that he he didn't know. Um, do you know uh, when and how We Stand on Guard will be collected by Image? Has there been any discussion on whether yeah, or not... Yeah, I think it's coming out... Okay, I don't know for sure, but it's going to be like uh, May, I think they said? Something like for a hardcover? Okay, actually that's part of the question. It was uh, any chance of getting the oversized deluxe hardcover treatment that most A-list Image books are getting? Uh, I hope so. I mean, uh, you know, we got BKV there, so I'm sure it'll be deluxe. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I'm sure they'll do, Image is just fantastic, Eric Stevenson over there, they just like, it's like the best comic book working environment I've ever experienced, they're super accommodating, um, no one bugs you, very thoughtful, you never, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just been amazing. What's next for you after, uh, we stand on guard in the comic book realm? Uh, I'm working on something, can't really talk about it, all, I, all I'll say is it's going to be bigger than Star Wars. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is it creator-owned? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, kind of focusing on that. And uh, but I don't want to say too much, but um, yeah, I would definitely like to stay in creator-owned. Um, but, you know, I love the Marvel stuff, you know, too. Someone in DC, you know, I love Batman and, uh, you know, all, 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 the, all those things. But... Uh, yeah, creator owned is, is is kind of a good good place to to be, I think. Now we have a listener question: is uh, is there a series you've been dying to work on? Ooh, well, there are series that I think are amazing that I wish I had worked on, like the goddamn that Jason Aaron came up with. I think is so freaking cool. It's just like wow, that is that's amazing. Uh, if he means like in terms of like in the comic book world, yeah. Uh, you mean like Marvel DC? Sure. Uh, Sure, like, yeah, cool. You know, I never drew Batman, so that would be one that I would love to do. You know, if it was a cool project or something, definitely, and they were interested in, in hiring me, I'd love to I'd love to do it. Um, so, um, but, yeah, I w- but creator owned is something I, I, re- I want to uh, focus on. But, um, God, yeah, who do I love? I know I got to draw Spider-Man. I got to draw the X-Men. I got to draw Wolverine. Um, Those are some of the big guns, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, sure, I'd love to do that great Captain America or, you know, Hulk. You know, I could, you know, you could draw. They're all, you know, great gigs. Um, but, uh, yeah, but something, something pretty exciting. I mean, all the really cool ones. Like, I wish I had, uh, like, Paper Girls, the Brian's other book, I think is great. Um, I wish I'm jealous of Cliff for drawing that because I think that is so cool. Although, you know, I think no other artist could draw that book. Um, what are their comics? I want to draw. Oh God, there are so many. I like, uh, yeah, like I could go all day on like all the comics I wish I had. <laughs> you know, Watchmen that would have been great. <laughs> Better than that one. Well, I don't know what you in the eighties would have been that good. <laughs> no, it would have definitely been uh, amateurish, but uh, would appreciate it. Anyway, I like a lot of, you know, I still, you know, I read a ton of comics, and I love all the Marvel DC stuff. I still think Justice League is really good. Um, you know, that, that that's still entertaining. I love my Hellboy. I like Rumble. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd created all those. Um, now, one of my final questions is, uh, do, you, do you wish or do you plan at some point to get back to actually writing comics yourself, or are you happy to just be the you know the other half the the illustrator working on that part or well i am working on something so maybe there'll be something to announce uh at some point um uh yeah maybe sooner than later um but yeah no definitely i'd love to it's always a little scary i mean when you work with 
Yeah, it was very fun working on your own stuff, but, um, you know, and uh, I definitely am doing that. Um, so, yeah, there probably will be something coming soon from me uh, that I'll be writing and drawing. And uh, But, yeah, I'm still interested in working with, you know, really great writers as well. Like, uh, get another chance to work with Brian would be great. And, you know, there's a lot of great, you know, a lot of great guys out there. Obviously, Jason Aaron is amazing. Um, I just read that Harrow County by Cullen Bunn. Mm-hmm. I think it is. I hadn't really read him before, and I thought that was terrific. Um, yeah, Zack Snyder. God, I just finished Witches. That's so cool. Um, yeah, lots of stuff. Okay. Any final thoughts for our listeners? Um, just pick up. We stand on guard, right? Yes, please, please buy my comics. Well, actually, I, I do have a last question that I, I didn't even think of. Oh, yeah, sure. When you go to conventions, what's the most frequent thing that you get asked to sign? Yeah, it's really funny. I noticed that just this last summer, uh, you know, we did a little promotional tour for Stand on Guard, and in a lot of ways, I'm kind of re- I'm kind of brand new to the industry because I'd been away for so long, and a lot of Brian's fans would come up at these signings that we were at, and they would, wouldn't know me or... or uh, weren't that familiar with my work but the stuff that I get that I still get signed the most was is probably X-Man interesting but, because those things were such huge sellers in those in those days right that's true yeah and so I just think people have a lot of them around you know occasionally you'll get I'll get some Doc Frankincense and stuff but uh, yeah the Age of Apocalypse were like you know massive numbers that we just don't really see that often anymore so uh, I do get a lot of those I got, uh, and Spider-Man Kind of like probably yeah, what's the X Man and Spider Man? Occasionally some Gambit. What's the um, the most surprising book that someone asked you to sign, or that you're most surprised that it was even being asked to be signed at all? Oh, of my own book, uh, mm-hmm. hmm, um, probably an Ecto Kid. Yeah. Every once in a while, one of those will come in, and like that didn't sell any. Like no one has those, and I'm always I'm always impressed. And there's always some like you know, hardened lifelong fan, you know what I mean? Who like has you just you just know like his his house is like fifty percent long boxes. And, <laughs> uh, you know, he's probably, you know, probably ruined his marriage and because he wouldn't get rid of, get rid of any of that shit and so I'm I'm so always happy when one of those guys, you know, goes through there and goes through their stuff and pulls up my book that I did twenty something years ago. Is it kind of crazy to think that you've been in the, you know, working in and around comics for that long? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, now it's kind of like, you know, you get a little more perspective when you get a little older and uh, you just kind of, uh, yeah, I feel really grateful to have been able to do it for as long as I have. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's crazy. You get to just draw all this, like, made-up stuff. And I'm like, you know, people buy this stuff. It's crazy. You know, a bunch of drawings with the story. I mean, it doesn't seem like you should be able to make a living doing that, right? Wow, but you still want people to buy it, right? Oh, I know. I absolutely am <laughs> grateful. I spend all my money on comics. I love them. Um, but it's like, you know, you look at the modern, you know, 20, you know when I started out when I was, I was like 18, I mean, uh, there's something for everybody on. There's so many places you could spend your money on apps and everything else, you know, uh, to go and get like an, such an exotic item uh, like comics um, and be really like and I was amazed at, uh, at these signings with Brian like all these fans and they were so much younger than me like like clearly these, these guys got into comics after the boom after the big crash and they're like hooked they're more expensive than ever but they like still love them and they're like all new readers and that, that always like you know really heartens me and makes me feel uh, positive about the future for comics and and what Eric and, uh, is doing at Image and uh, I think is really awesome but uh, but yeah I think I'm in a very happy place I do kind of pinch myself I'm very excited to get to uh, to sit down and draw those books drawing Stand on Guard this, these last few months has, has just I mean it's been a ton of work but like I definitely had a spring in my step and it's been very exciting to, to get back to my first love movies are great and they've all been terrific, but, you know, um, getting to work on a comic or your, a creator-owned book that's new and um, people coming along and they respond to it and stuff, I mean, there's nothing better. 
Well, I guess the immediacy of comics compared to movies too, right? Like you, you're you're shepherding, you're able to kind of put it on paper, see it happen, and it's all. You, you could have an entire miniseries done before a movie's even started shooting. Well, exactly. That's kind of what bums me out about. What doesn't bum me out, but like you work on these movies, and really, like at the end of the movie, I've done like five graphic novels worth of material or something, and like no one will ever see it. It just goes to a shredder, you know, and. Uh, you know, and sometimes the best the best drawings I've ever done were just you know for whatever reason were you know no no one will ever see them and that's like for some guys you know that's all they ever wanted to do or was to do production art or draw a robot in a movie but you know I'm still the, the little nerd from that comic book club with his his gold key Star Trek comic who was was shunned who just wants to uh, his work to be appreciated would you would you ever like to work on a star trek comic to kind of bring that full circle well not really i don't really <laughs> love star trek uh, i mean i like i like star trek but i'd rather work on like you know something new like my my own version or someone else's spin although you know I, the star wars thing i'm getting like totally charged up for the new movie i didn't think i would be there but i went back and watched the original three and you know, it's so funny to like, you know, you work on your own thing and it's really great and you're like, but you still have that like fan love where you're like, oh, I'm working on this new thing, but wow, wouldn't it be cool to be drawing Spider-Man again or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the Marvel zombie in me is still, is still alive. So. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk about your career in comics. And we also look forward to both the conclusion of We Stand on Guard as well as the eventual oversized hardcover edition. Oh, thanks. And uh, thanks to everyone who bought it and who listened to my boring voice. Thank you so much, Steve. Thanks. Take take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.